This is an ABC podcast. What does it take to bring an extinct species back from the dead? Well, sometimes. A Woman's Day magazine. I'm Tegan Taylor and this is Occam's Razor, a soapbox for science. This week, we're hearing from a detective who hunts for lost Australian mammals. Hunts in a good way, that is. Here's Tyrone Lavery. In early 2021, social media was set ablaze with talk about a video featuring the president of the Thylacine Awareness Group of Australia discussing how they'd finally done it. They'd finally rediscovered the thylacine, or Tasmanian tiger, using remote cameras set up in the forests of northeastern Tasmania. The photos were said to contain a mother, a father and a baby. Photos of the mother and father were ambiguous, but the baby, the baby wasn't. It had the stiff tail, it had the coarse fur, it had the hock, it had the rounded ears, and most important of all, it had the stripes. The science community waited with bated breath as the photos were sent away to the museum experts for verification. And as someone who partly focuses his research on finding new mammals and also finding ones that we think are lost, I also waited with bated breath. The result? Tasmanian paddy melons. <laughs> a small wallaby that's relatively common in the forests of Tasmania. Unfortunately, the thylacine's one of the species that we're least likely to rediscover. But we can, and do, occasionally, refind things that we have long thought extinct. Around the world, there's been about 67 species of mammal that at one point or another we thought have been extinct and have been rediscovered. And even here in Australia, there's been several species of mammal that we thought were extinct but have been refound. In 1973, Woman's Day was running stories on the royal marriage between Princess Anne and Mark Phillips, Margaret Fulton's uh, soups that make a meal, how to make stunning hair lights in grey hair, and some of Australia's lesser known extinct species. At the same time, a fencing contractor was working on a property in central Queensland, and one day he came home to describe an unusual small wallaby that he'd seen around the property. It was a gorgeous little creature. It was about five kilograms in size, somewhere around the size of a Jack Russell Terrier. It was mostly grey in colour, but it had white stripes that ran from the back of the neck to around the shoulders. It also had beautiful stripes along the side of the face. And when it hopped, it held its arms stiff, like a fisherman showing you the uh, size of the fish he caught on the weekend. His wife joined the two dots. The description of this unusual wallaby and the article she'd read in the Woman's Day magazine and the bridal nail tail wallaby, a species thought extinct since 1937, was rediscovered. These efforts matter because Australia's black book of extinct species already has way too many pages and far too many are filled with the details of our precious lost mammals. And our precious native mice are one of the groups that have suffered most. To have a chance of rediscovery, there's a few pieces of information that really help us to begin the search. Things like where the animal occurred, its distribution, what habitats it preferred, and the circumstances un under which it was last seen. 
With this in mind, we set out to try and find these details for one of Australia's most enigmatic extinct mammals. You've probably never heard of the blue-grey mouse. It's a far lesser known species among a group that includes famous things like the thylacine and the bramble K. melamies, which is a small rat that we think was the first victim of climate change, the first mammal extinction. From all accounts, it was the blue-grey mouse was a charming little creature. It was pale blue-grey in colour with soft fur, had silvery white feet and a tail that was slightly longer than the head and body. It was described in 1910 by the famous, famous British zoologist Oldfield Thomas. And within half a century, it had seemingly disappeared, leaving behind only three specimens, two of which are now missing. But is this mouse extinct or just really, really hard to find? We set out to try and answer this, and although we haven't rediscovered the blue-grey mouse, we feel we're getting some information that can help us begin the search. First, we went back to the beginning. Two of the specimens arrived in London in 1892, sent as a group of five rodents from the Queensland Museum in Brisbane. Four out of five of these are now missing, including one of the blue-grey mice. And the one that remains is now the only physical evidence we have that that species actually existed. And the only information we have about where it came from was southern Queensland, an area that's about possibly the size of Germany. So we began by scouring the records of the Queensland Museum and the Natural History Museum in London. Museums are places that collect things and few things are ever thrown out, so we thought for sure there'd be something in there, somewhere in the records of correspondence or the specimen registers or the publications that would give us those vital clues to help us begin that search for when and where this animal was found. But no matter how hard we looked, we simply couldn't find a single clue. There was not one piece of information to help us on that journey. So we gave up and we instead turned our attention to another tantalising mention of a third specimen in the 1957 book, The Third Animals of Australia by Ellis Legee Troughton, a curator of mammals at the Australian Museum. Here too, the details were frustratingly brief. A dried specimen received in 1956 from B.N. Parkins of Cryon, specimen missing. But we found an early clue. We found that the name Parkins was linked to a property called Corrali near the opal mining town of Lightning Ridge in northern New South Wales. And I just happened to have a friend who was from nearby Walgett. She knew of a B.N. Parkins, Bob Neville Parkins, that lived in Corrali, and better yet, she knew the daughter of Bob, Jill Ruffley, and was able to put me in contact with her. Not only did Jill remember the occasion when her father collected a strange mouse in 1956, but she also kept the letter from Ellis Legee Troughton thanking him for the specimen, the museum curator. Troughton's letter read, I'm writing to let yourself and local friends know that the skin almost certainly is that of one of the lost species of native Australian mice. In October 1955, record rainfall fell around Corrali, and it continued into 1956. As the rain subsided, crops and native vegetation grew, and the conditions were perfect for a boom, a plague of introduced house mice. At Corrali, the swarms of mice entered the stock feed rooms. 
And in an effort to control them, Bob Parkins set a steel drum on its end and poured some grain into it to make an effective trap. One night, a blue-grey mouse must have walked along the top of the drum and fell inside. And when Bob checked the trap, there it was, amongst hundreds and hundreds of house mice. Like me, you're probably wondering how on earth someone could pick one different mouse in a steel drum filled with house mice. I asked Jill this exact same question, and she answered, well, Bob was a, he was from the bush, he was a bushy. He was someone that noticed the environment and paid close attention to the things that were living in it. Jill must have inherited those traits because she recalled Corrali in the 1950s with remarkable detail. She told us about how in 1956, the native Mitchell grass that grew around the homestead had reached the height of horse stirrups. As the population of mice boomed, so did their predators, and Corrali was inundated with red foxes, which undoubtedly represented a major threat for the blue-grey mouse. But Jill's memory has given us vital clues, things that we might use to begin the search again, if we like. Northern New South Wales, Mitchell Grass Plains, heavy rainfall. I'm often asked to describe why the blue-grey mouse is important and the natural responses to, to try and think up a way of justifying its existence for people, to make a case for why we should have saved it. But really, I think it's much more simple than that. If anything, this story has shown me how our native species are interwoven with the history, people, landscapes, experiences, culture, country that make up Australia. All our species belong to us, not in the sense that we own them, but in the sense that they're a crucial part of who we are as people living on this land. So be more like Bob Parkins. Pay close attention to what's around you in the natural environment and appreciate it, because it's far better to look after it now than try and rediscover it in the future. And while you're at it, please keep an eye out for the blue-grey mouse for me. <laughs> I'm sorry, but how many people are sending dead animals to museums in the post? Like, is that a normal thing to do? This talk has left me with more questions than answers. Dr Tyrone Lavery is a research fellow with the Fenner School of Environment and Society at the Australian National University. He was speaking there at our Occam's Razor live event at Smith's Alternative in Canberra on Ngunnawal land in May. I'm Tegan Taylor, your Occam's Razor host, and I'll be posting you, not a dead animal, but another Aussie scientist with a fresh take right here next week. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.